0: You're listening to Talking Taiwan with your host, Felicia Lin.
1: My guest on this episode of Talking Taiwan is Dr. Michi Fu, who is a professor, psychologist, writer, public speaker, and experience creator. Michi spoke with me about how her mother's decision to retire in Taiwan led her to decide to take a one-year sabbatical in Taiwan and to apply for Taiwan citizenship. She shares what that process was like and the challenges of adulting in Taiwan that she's faced due to limited language and cultural proficiency. And with the 74th anniversary of the 228 incident having just passed, it was very timely to have Michi also talk about her involvement with the 228 Transitional Justice Project. Here's our interview. Welcome to the podcast, Michi. Thank you so much for having me, Felicia. Hi, everyone. Great. Um, So can you start by telling us a little bit about yourself, about your upbringing, and where you grew up, where you were born?
0: Okay. Um, So just my individual personal experiences is that I was born and raised in Los Angeles, kind of. What's unique about my childhood is as a toddler, I was brought back to Taiwan to Ai. So I was raised by my village of um, my paternal side of the family because I was the third out of three in a row children. My mom had a two-year-old, one-year-old, and then I came out. So they didn't know what to do with three children that young. So they took me back to be raised by my relatives until I was ready to come back here in Los Angeles for school. So I eventually came back to SGV in the 80s. Um, Growing up, I went through uh, pretty integrated. There were very few Asians back then when I was growing up in SGV. Um, But we did go to restaurants in Monterey Park and Alhambra. Like, I remember there was one Chinese market. We spent time in Chinatown. We... um, Also had moved for a bit to like Torrance, South Bay area, spent a lot of time in Paul's Verde's Um, and like all the downtown LA stuff um, where my dad worked and uh, for a while just being um, a member of Glendora Country Club. So I kind of spanned through San Gabriel Valley Mm. in the 80s and that Mm -hmm. was a very unique experience compared to like a Taiwanese American growing up in Flushing or Taiwanese Canadian in toronto so i'm aware this is my unique uh personal view and it's shaped by these places that i've lived
1: mm-hmm. and how old yeah. were you when you um relocated back from taiwan to the u.s well that's debatable i just know <laughs> i
0: was ready to go to school um oh, okay. but i started school young oh okay so okay at least by four my mom thinks it was earlier than that
1: oh wow okay
0: mm-hmm.
1: um and what do you do now is your career what are you working on and what what are your ambitions?
0: Okay, well, I'm lucky. I'm a professor, um, which means like I get to continue work throughout the pandemic, so mm-hmm. I get to teach virtually. Um, I'm also a psychologist, so I see my patients through telehealth, I'm very fortunate to still be able to work, um, and then I'm a writer and public speaker, so uh, yeah, the world's kind of learned to go virtual. Um, I'm also I call it kind of like an experience creator so um, like I teach continuing education courses in an immersive style abroad so almost like um, study abroad for psychologists um, and then I do other things like that but in the future I hope to be a founder of um, a wellness center called Thrive Sanctuary mm. um, and right now it's been in like pop-up forms including um in los angeles like small drumming circles or in taiwan um you know larger scale events so it's um my career's had a lot of twists and turns but at the root of it it's getting to work with people help people um and you know trying to be values forward
1: wow interesting you have such a broad range of experience Um, What was your earliest connection or understanding of Taiwan?
0: Oh, gosh. Uh, Being that I was for my relatives to raise me, uh, I always kind of knew I was, Taiwanese probably more so than my siblings at some points Mm -hmm. Uh, but a lot of my childhood summers were spent there like dropped off at relatives for a month or two sometimes they enroll us in like tutorial program they tried to enroll us in ballet once Mm -hmm. oh my gosh we Mm -hmm. got hit a lot (laughs) um I did go back to something called so like a summer there as a teenager they enrolled us in local version of summer camp it was rough it's similar to love boat I see It's precursor to Love Boat, the local style of Mm. Love Boat. It's Mm -hmm. not the tugboat, Mm -hmm. which I know there is currently. Mm -hmm. I also went on Love Boat, um, and I still have reunions with my um, Love Boat year and even (laughs) the adjacent (gasps) years. Yeah. So that did actually shape a huge part of my Taiwanese identity. Mm -hmm. And then there's a medical version of it. Mm -hmm. OCAC, I think, is co-sponsored with Notma Mm -hmm. And a Notwa two sister had... Recommended me for that fellowship, and I'm really glad I did because now I base my learning tours on that model.
1: Mm.
0: um, When I bring folks to Taiwan, and I co sponsor that with my Not What sister. Dr. Suzanne Kuo.
1: You mentioned that you've done some uh, study learning tours of Taiwan that you organized with, uh, was it Natma or Natwa? Um, Can you tell me a little bit about that? Um, Is this something that's done annually? What's the itinerary, who can participate, and what's the duration or cost of the program? Thanks
0: for asking about the immersive study tours. I was fortunate enough to participate on Love Boat, and I also was fortunate enough to participate in the doctor's version of the island tour portion. And so I pattern a very similar kind of immersive study tour for graduate students. I've run a separate tour for colleagues for continuing education. Um, I've also run one for Taita. They have one for their master's program. And we also intend to run one for not what two members. We're going to call it something like not your mother's version of Taiwan. So instead of hanging out listening to um, relatives playing Mahjong and seeing karaoke, we are gonna take you to some of the gems that Taiwan has to offer, including hot springs and things like that. So it's a customized tour, and it's basically three in one. One, you're gonna learn about culture. Two, you're probably going to get to see something related to social services or the things that myself and the co-coordinator care about. And then number three is a foodie tour. No two meals will ever be the same. You'll get to taste some of the highlights of Taiwanese food. As an adult, I kind of made annual-ish trips, but I was one of those Taiwanese Americans that didn't see a whole lot of wonderful things about Taiwan. So I would rather spend my money going on an annual girls trip to like Peru
1: Mm.
0: or somewhere, you know, equally wonderful. But I, I didn't understand like, Oh, there's so much to explore in Taiwan that Mm
1: -hmm.
0: like my version of Taiwan now is not my mother's version of Taiwan. She always took me to like relatives places. Mm -hmm. I'd be watching like, you know, uh, family life stuff, but Taiwan is so beautiful. It's, got a lot of twists and turns to it so I didn't know that as an adult I would make Taiwan like an adjacent trip like I'd go visit my friend in Singapore and I'd make Taiwan a side tour or I would teach a class somewhere and then I you know I'd go to Malaysia or something and then I'd go to Taiwan on the side uh-huh. but now I'm like oh Taiwan is an interesting enough place and I still haven't explored all of its crevices and I really tried during my sabbatical year in 2018 and 2019
1: yeah. So, what changed? So, what changed that uh, perception? Uh, I think the locals, um, and
0: you know, trying to understand it through my mom's lens as like a returnee that wants to retire there and make that her um, resting place. Also, um, going in as a brash American, I had told my nephews like, oh in case anything happens to Taiwan, like, come over to the U.S., because, you know, they they have um, citizenship in the U.S. Mm. But my nephew was like, no, if anything happens, like, this is my country. I'm going to um, – he had a lot of national pride. He's like, I would defend it. Wow. He's like, the people I love are, are here. And I was like, oh, my goodness. Well, yeah, maybe there's something here to, to love and defend and all that too. Mm. So – I really grew to try and look at it through, from a local perspective, including there's a whole bunch of expats there that have made Taiwan their home, mm-hmm. you know, have even contemplated giving up citizenship in their own birthright countries. Like, I've met a whole bunch of um, expats, some who were... Gifted Taiwanese citizenship because they'd done something really wonderful. Taiwan. Some people who would be willing to apply for it is had there been a pathway for them. So I really grew to appreciate Taiwan more from the
1: people that I met. I want the um, listeners to know that the whole reason why we're talking about this is because your mom went back, right? So, um, okay. why and when did you decide to set up a more semi-permanent residency in Taiwan? and um, before that, what was the longest period of time that you spent in Taiwan? Okay, Um, so my dad grew sick
0: um, and at one point in time, um, surgery was recommended here in the States and he wanted a second opinion so he went back to Taiwan and um, he believed in the healthcare system there more Um, also felt like he could communicate with the doctors better. So they went back there thinking they would come back here. Um, But once they went back, they kind of liked it. You know, his health actually um, improved, and they were within half an hour of where my mother grew up. All her, her siblings are still alive. Like, they just ended up really enjoying it, So even after my father passed, my mother um, did come to visit us in the U.S., but just became more comfortable in Taiwan. And at one point in time said, you know, she also trusted the medical care in Taiwan more because she came um, to the U.S. with, like, a really small cold on the airplane. But Mm -hmm. then it turned into, like, she, she... she felt like it was pneumonia or something and she thought oh my gosh what if I have to go to the hospital in the US like hmm. she didn't like the idea of seeking healthcare in the US so she decided um that she was just gonna stay close to Taiwan where she felt more comfortable with the health care so that if we wanted a relationship with her I'd have to go to her
1: right.
0: um so I because I have an elderly widow, Taiwanese mother, and her choice of residency is her birthplace, I chose to try and understand that more during my sabbatical year. In 2018 and 2019, um, I ended up spending as long as I could. So, because I calculated out, I could stretch, like, as soon as I leave when the academic year ends, um, previous, and as soon as I land, when the academic year starts the next year, it actually gave me 14 months. And then I realized um, in order to do that, I would have to start preparing during academic year 2017. Like for example, I had to Mm -hmm. request for a sabbatical Mm -hmm. or I had to apply for a visiting professorship in Taiwan. So somewhere in like fall of 2017, I had to start planning ahead. Um, but before that, the longest period of time was, okay, when I was a toddler, does that count childhood summers Mm -hmm. all the way up until like, you know, nineties, a love boat. Um, there was one summer when I was a young adult that was really fantastic and free. Um, I visited and my sister was there, um, and a girlfriend of mine, her and her friends, they were like a Taiwanese version of friends. (laughs) Um, Every night they would go out and, like, they just had a really fantastic life. Everyone was uh, really enjoying themselves. Like, my (laughs) first night there was, like, a huge um, launch opening party for a major international product.
1: Wow. And it was
0: just a really fantastic summer. So I've had positive experiences of Taiwan before, but I never saw it as a place that I could get excited about as a mid-aged woman. Yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah, um, and going back to your parents, they do have a point about the health care. It's very affordable, and they have universal <laughs> health care, so, and I'm sure, like, it also helps, like, the familiarity and the language, too. Yeah, and it's
0: trustworthy. Mm-hmm. You don't feel like, you know, you have to sacrifice a major appendage just for the <laughs> sake of, like, um, saving government dollars. Like, I think they're they're really sensible about mm-hmm. public health.
1: Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, And um, so because your mother decided to retire and um, move to Taiwan to uh, make that her primary residence, you decided to um, apply for residency in Taiwan. Um, Can you talk about a little bit about what was involved in doing that?
0: First off, let me say there's no clear-cut path. Um, So if you plan to do this, you have to be persistent. So, for example, I expected that there would be some sort of a website or some sort of a user-friendly process, mm-hmm. some sort of documentation even in English. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had to start asking my local TICO, Taipei Economic Cultural Office, which is Taiwan's version of a, an embassy. But mm-hmm. since we're not recognized as a country, uh, that's their long-winded way of saying the establishment in LA I know it's tech row in Washington DC I've had to interact with them too Mm. for my process Mm. okay um that being said even though there's no documentation and user-friendly stuff on the other side I had to keep excellent documentation and um I wish I'd known to expect there were subcategories of things to do So as an example, when I finally got my hands on, I I felt like there were (laughs) 12 to 15 steps on this one page that was all in Mandarin. Mm -hmm. And it was a photocopy of a photocopy of a photocopy kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. Um, So then I had to ask my family members to help me translate. Mm -hmm. Some of these documents they didn't know the English words for. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's not like I could use Google Translate very easily. And then I go sit in front of like a take officer and I want them to translate for me line by line that wasn't really getting me very far either Mm. so it really is an investment of time i had to treat it like a part-time job um and then i wish i'd known to expect dual requests so Mm. for example um i had to get a u.s medical checkup translated into chinese notarized Mm. that the translation was authentic um what else there's a bunch of other things you have to do. You have to notarize. You have to authenticate your Translate. documents. Mm-hmm. Oh my god, so many steps. So, so each one of those steps takes
1: time and money. Like yeah, and it's very to difficult that. if you're not a um, Chinese language speaker, right? Um,
0: yeah. I in my Chinese language is like baby Chinese, yeah. and I, I can't, it's practically illiterate for reading and mm-hmm. writing. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to remedy that by taking private lessons, but I'm not nearly as disciplined as I could be. Um, but then aside from that, okay, there's time frames too. Like your medical checkup has to be within X number of months to be valid, uh-huh. same with your FBI fingerprints, but uh-huh. then when you get to Taiwan, now you have to, at some point in time, get a medical checkup there at a government-approved hospital within uh-huh. a certain period of time. So no one tells you. You just kind of have to figure out these things. And mm. so I say treat it like a job. Mm. Like, you know, use a lot of critical thinking. Think outside the box. Sometimes um, you got to expect delays. Like there's unclear deadlines or setbacks. So, for example, as soon as I landed in Taiwan, I show up at an immigration office. I dump off all the paperwork that I'm told by every agency this is what I need to bring. I brought it all. The lady, the clerk took my stuff. She made copies and then gave me a thing saying, uh, you'll hear back from us in whatever, two to three weeks. So I'm like, okay, two to three weeks. That gives me a week to go somewhere because if I'm going to be locked in Taiwan for over a year, this is someone who's used to traveling. I mm. used to travel too much. Like, <laughs> so, so once a month I'd have like a business meeting or two or whatever. Um So I was like, I'm gonna go meet up my girlfriend in Mongolia who was um, doing some consulting work, and then we're gonna go travel the Gobi Desert for a week, and then that'll be my sabbatical for my sabbatical. It'll be my reset. While I was out, I guess that like sometime during that first week, um, I get a phone call saying, the lady said there was a document missing so my days didn't start counting.
1: Oh
0: wow. But I had brought that document, she just didn't copy it. So anyway, it all got set back. I had to come back from Mongolia. I got scolded for leaving the country, which I didn't even know was a rule. So you get scolded a lot for like transgressions you didn't know about. Um, It was such an ordeal. Uh, Basically it pushed back my deadline and it's always your responsibility like so no one's trying to assist you you have to be the project manager uh and sometimes the rules change constantly and arbitrarily so sometimes the rules are this is like i'm more talking about the process than a to do the process um is you have to be very flexible you have to be very grateful the entire way um and sometimes you can see a more efficient way but people have to follow a rule because that's the taiwanese way so it's really nebulous
1: part of the requirement for establishing residency is that you have to be in taiwan for a consecutive number of days or a certain amount of time that's the time period that you're talking about when they start counting uh yes and no okay there's a few ways of counting tell me about the documentation that you need like what kind of documentation do you need for this process and what what kind of bureaucracy did you have to deal with
0: okay One, expect all the documents you would need to prove your identity and your relationship to your Taiwanese roots, which is usually demonstrating some sort of birthright citizenship pathway. So, for example, that your parents have some sort of citizenship or household registration in Taiwan and that your parents gave birth to you. When you have that, expect your documents to be authenticated by either TECO or TECRO. Then after they authenticate it, but that takes a few days and some money, Um, then you need to get it translated. If you know how to translate it, more power to you. Otherwise, now you have to hire hire a translator and you want to try and find someone that's certified. I guess you can get like your cousin to do it, um, but now someone has to notarize that translation. So there's all these other steps involved. Um, So in every major step, expect there to be 10 to 15 sub steps, including you have to go to FedEx and you have to have a returned uh, postage paid envelope kind of thing. Expect to speak with different people and expect that they they might give you conflicting information. So I went to the immigration agency in Taizong versus in Taipei, and these people had different things to say. Um, So I finally just went to the supervisor in Taipei, the one that would sign off on the last thing. Um, Don't expect there to be a user-friendly website. Taiwan's not known for having user-friendly websites or English handouts. And... um, all of that being said, it's very worth it. I know it sounds super scary and it sounds like, why would anyone do this? But I, I know people who are on this pathway or who have done it. And once you get it, it really is. Um, it's a, it's a birthright thing, you know, and I'll, I have um, recently gotten like my new Taiwan passport, but as soon as they came out with the Taiwan passport, I just got that switch. Mm-hmm. So I'm really glad um, to have, been able to go through the process for my mother but then as a result of that i'm one of like the very few privileged people that can travel during this pandemic to like the safest country in the world so they do have their act together for other things like the pandemic response is fantastic their post office is fantastic just some things really suck in taiwan like immigration and banking those really suck in taiwan
1: yeah wow like my head is spinning just listening to what you have to say it seems so complicated I'll also
0: point out like before before becoming a citizen my documentation was like a calling card or something or maybe like a yo-yo card Uh um, which is like great for not just transportation you can use it in like um, 7-elevens you can also use it to pay utilities get a um, city bike Um, and then I had like Other ones, like Hello Kitty ones, so people get really attached to their yo-yo cards. Can you tell um,
1: my listeners, for people who don't know, what's the yo-yo card?
0: Yo-yo card is an easy card. It's like Hong Kong's version of the Octopus card. You can pay um, for, it's like a swipe card that's debit, so you can add money into it. Um, People get super into their... Yo-yo card, easy cards.
1: And they use that typically for, like, mass transit and...
0: Yeah, payments for stuff. You can use it to pay your utilities. You can pay for beers at 7-Eleven. Um, you can pay for cabs. Yeah, some places just accept this instead of It's like of a cash. debit
1: card then, right?
0: Mm-hmm, oh, like a debit card. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then um, somewhere along the way, um, you get, like, a temporary... I don't know if it's called like alien resident certificate or something. I don't think it's called that, but, um, if you're Taiwanese roots, um, you get something that allows you to stay for longer than a regular, uh, passport visa would, Mm -hmm. which is like 90 days. Uh, if you get like a temporary thing, I think it lets you stay for like either a year or three. Mm -hmm. Um, so you don't have to keep doing what, like, some foreigners have to do something called a visa run. Mm-hmm. Every 90 days, you got to mm-hmm. keep leaving. Okay, so after six months, you can get a national health insurance card, which is, um, that was a really big deal for me. After After you clock your 365 days, which is one option, versus there's a two- or three-year plan, which is 365 days is one consecutive year. Otherwise, you can do two or three years. You have to clock like 200 days, but it doesn't have to be consecutive per year. But I think it's like minimum of three years or something like that. That's another pathway.
1: So 200 within a three-year three period. The I don't know that 200
0: one as well. I'm not good with the numbers there, yeah. but it's something like that. Yeah, yeah. So it's a different way than the three, 365 yeah. consecutive yeah. days. Yeah. Okay, so after mine, then I got um, my Simpon's in, which is citizenship.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: then after I did that, I did my household. After you
1: fulfill the 365 days or the 200 days, you get the Simpon's in, which is a residency.
0: You have to apply for it. No yeah.
1: one, you, Well, you have to apply yeah. for it, right, but after you meet that requirement.
0: After you meet that requirement, you can apply for it, correct. So before that, I had... Um, my Taiwan my Taiwan passport Um, then I had to turn that in and with my new household registration apply for a new passport with my new Simpson's and number on it that was the next step Um, and then while I was at it I'm like I'm from California Taiwan recognizes dual DMV uh, rights so I Submitted. I turned in. Not everyone can do that there. I uh, exchanged my inter- I also had an international driver's license mm-hmm. for Taiwan, but I went ahead and got my driver's license in Taiwan. I truly regret <laughs> not bringing, uh, you know, they're so weird. This is what I mean about those ambiguous rules. Uh-huh. The passport sizes, the photos that they use for your passport are different than the ones that they use for your, National Health Insurance card, hmm. which is sometimes a different size than your Simponson, which is definitely a different size than your driver's license. <laughs> so the day I got there, I had tons of different sizes. I just didn't have the size wow. for their DMV. So I had to take the most horrid photos. Um, but anyway, that that's what you get. DMV photos are not supposed to be great anyway. Yeah. Um, so I got not just my driver's license, but a moped license. Huh. I was considering a motorcycle license too, but that one is not easily transferable. You actually have to take classes. So it is possible to do all this stuff, it just takes a long time to figure out how to adult there. Right.
1: Um, But after
0: that, I ended up with things like, oh, now I have two SIM cards. because I don't want to give up my number in Taiwan. Mm -hmm. So there's things like that that are completely possible. It just takes a while to figure out the system.
1: Yeah. Let me summarize a little bit because that's pretty... You just—that was a mouthful. It's like very overwhelming what you said. So, Sorry. And no, because also I actually went through this process myself, so I kind of Sorry. understand a little bit. I want my listeners to understand, like, so I'm just going to give them a summary, and you can correct me if I have something. If I have something, you should correct me. If you have parents from Taiwan who are born in Taiwan and have residency and citizenship in Taiwan, then you can apply for residency and citizenship yourself. This usually starts with applying for a passport for an overseas-born Taiwanese. Then you'd have to get all of your documentation together, as Michi was explaining, which consists of things like getting a police background checked, your ID papers, your parents' ID papers, and so on. And then there's the translation of all the documents and medical checks. Then you'd need to fulfill the minimum number of days of stay, whether it's 365 days in a year or 200 days total over a two to three period. After fulfilling that, you can apply for a sin which is Taiwanese citizenship. Once you get the sinfensin, you trade in your overseas Taiwanese passport for a regular Taiwan passport. Is that right? Yes, and...
0: Um It's also a little bit different if you're under the age of 20. Mm -hmm. It's also a little bit different if your parents have already applied for your passport. Like, I've always had a passport. I just never traveled with it up until I needed it that sabbatical year. So that saved me probably months' worth of paperwork, too.
1: But the passport you're talking about is as an overseas-born Taiwanese, right?
0: Yes. Oh, um, because Taiwan is one of the few places where nationality versus citizenship are actually different.
1: Okay, great. So hopefully that makes it a little bit (laughs) more clear
0: for listeners. (laughs) It's
1: very convoluted sometimes. Because
0: nationality is uh, counted differently as citizenship, which gives you voting rights, for example, Mm -hmm. then the process is different for Mm -hmm. both.
1: Mm -hmm. Um, despite the fact that um, you were pulled to Taiwan when you were younger and you went there pretty often I'm wondering like when do you think it was that you actually developed a sense of your Taiwanese identity?
0: Uh, So when I first developed my sense of Taiwanese identity is difficult to say because it's convoluted with Asian American identity, and sometimes mixed in there with not differentiating between Chinese American. Uh-huh.
1: Um,
0: so, I guess at the most basic level, maybe ever since I could speak, because my parents made sure we only spoke Taiwanese at home. Uh-huh. In fact, if we tried to speak Mandarin or English, uh-huh. they'd usually say "tianbo." What well, "tianbo"? <laughs> So, like, on purpose, they would make us speak Taiwanese, so maybe at that
1: level. Earlier, you said, like, um, when you're growing up, your parents really enforce that you speak Taiwanese, and they would always say, which means I don't understand, so they would just really enforce you to answer in Taiwanese if you were speaking with them.
0: But even when I was working on my dissertation as a young adult, I the title of it included something about Chinese Americans. It didn't actually look specifically at Taiwanese Americans. And it was when I reached out to like maybe a campus um, T Chinese, uh, Taiwanese student association versus Chinese student association. One of the officers told me like, we'll fill it out for you because we want you to get your dissertation done, but you should know we don't identify as Chinese American, but for the purposes of your dissertation, we'll help you out. So after that, I was like, huh, okay. Maybe I need to think about that differently. Um, before my father passed away, he started sharing more of his political views with me, which I didn't realize were there and strong all along. Like, of course, now I know they would go back to vote every year. Um, he started showing me his banners from some of his protests, Um And newspaper clippings of protests um, that he'd either gone to or wanted to participate in um, or just had thoughts about and then he also um, for someone who was always disappointed and like how can you be a doctor and not not make lucrative amounts of money Um, he always encouraged me to donate my time to Taiwanese American organizations Mm. that um, wanted you know any kind of mental health Mm. kind of consultation Mm -hmm. so That kind of showed me like, huh, being Taiwanese really means something to him, um, politically. And then when I took my sabbatical, really understanding the differences of like being Han descent versus having indigenous roots. So having a different appreciation of what it means to be Taiwanese as a returnee, um, and then post sabbatical, like now I try and find projects to go back and give me an excuse to spend time to be with my mom, um, so more recently, I participated on a 228 um, transitional justice project with our Nahuatl sister, Dr. Tzu She's a um, professor at Dongsan Medical <coughs> University. So we actually um, have been consulting on a project for 228, which has um, really given me the honor of like doing a lot of 228 reading. Mm. readings and watching documentaries mm. and um, interviewing some of the um, white terror survivors. Wow. So um, now my Taiwanese identity has been shaped by more recent trying to educate myself about Taiwan's sociopolitical his- history.
1: That's great. Sounds mm. like a really meaningful project. For listeners who are unfamiliar with 228, which is also referred to as the 228 incident, the 228 massacre, or the 228 uprising. 228 is February 28, 1947. The date that the arrest of a cigarette seller in Taipei sparked protests over corruption and repression of the ruling Kuomintang Party at the time. What followed were the disappearance and execution of thousands by the Kuomintang. Some say that up to 20,000 were murdered. It led to the declaration of martial law and it was the beginning of the reign of right terror in Taiwan. Michi, can you talk a little bit more about the 228 Transitional Justice Project?
0: Sure. I was privileged enough to be invited to participate as a consultant for uh, one of my girlfriends um, is participating in the Transitional Justice Project. It's sponsored by the government. Um, She gets to run the cell in Taizong. And I've had the opportunity to meet with an actual 228 survivor as well as the second generation descendants. I've had an opportunity to see the impact of intergenerational trauma as well as transgenerational trauma because now it's trickling down to the third generation. There's been a culture of silence that's been necessary because of um, socio-political historical um, influences. However, we're seeing that it's um, impacted families who've experienced family members that have either disappeared or um, have still been unaccounted for in in other ways. And um, we see that Taiwan is super resilient, um, but there are still a few rifts where people aren't able to talk very openly. Um, I got to sit next to a survivor that lost his father who was a very well-respected townsman and educator he himself was pretty bright but since his father had disappeared he had suffered bullying at the hands of his classmates and um, I'm guessing his family was ostracized from a lot of resources out in the community so it became very difficult for him to have Bushi Ben to get into the right schools But actually, he was able to get himself a civil appointment, which was not easy to do because he had to pass the civil exams. He passed the civil exams, and on the first day of his employment, he turned himself back around and went home. He couldn't face going into work. He felt very ashamed still of his status. Um, So this, this transitional justice project will hopefully help to give a voice to people who have felt silenced for a very long time who have been um, innocently framed by their communities as being dissidents. Um, And hopefully it will help to prepare a pathway not just to heal Taiwan, but hopefully it'll offer some truth and reconciliation um, pathways for other folks who have also experienced intergenerational trauma um, due to wars or other political unrest. So I know um, in the 228 project, we've seen some parallels between um, the Jewish Holocaust, Armenian Americans, um, and their uh, wish to be recognized after over a century of um, their own genocide. So hopefully um, Taiwan, this is their first step in trying to uh, do some healing. Um I know there's been a lot of controversy. Some people wonder, why now? After so many decades, this per- it will not bring our family member back. Or they will ask, you call this some sort of restitution? You know, there was some um, debate over the word reparation versus other things. Um, and some people were saying, this is an insulting amount. How can a person's life be reduced to this um, symbolic gesture? Mm-hmm. So there are still a lot of very hurt feelings. Um, hopefully, this will become part of a process where we can heal together as a nation. And hopefully, we can um, also teach others as well. So there are three sites in Taiwan right now. And I would I got to be involved in the Taizong Project because of Zuan Guo, And um, their product is just to get people to start revealing aspects of their life stories around um, 228 as well as white terror. Um, the Taipei mm-hmm. and maybe somewhere down south, I'm guessing their products will look a little bit different, but each one of them were kind of tasked with, you have a very limited amount of time to go recruit some survivors or their descendants and just do almost like a baseline assessment. And then hopefully from there, Um, the government might have a phase two round of funding to do more intervention. On a personal level, before I participated in this 228 consultation project, I'd always kind of heard bits and pieces about it, but getting an up-close look is truly an honor because I can see how in psychology there's this concept of post-traumatic resilience, where people can actually grow. And I think in the past, Taiwan's way of dealing with this has been very much uh, in congruent with like Confucianism. We kind of repress emotional expression. So in some ways, the government doing this is very daring. It's also been very controversial. Um, I hope that whatever product ends up being yielded from these different cells, um, that it's a healing process for the participants who are brave enough to come forward but also that it'll be educational for not just the Taiwanese youth currently living there because some of them don't know very much about 228, um, but for the diaspora as well to understand that this is part of our heritage. So um, it's been very educational for me and I feel very grateful to have been invited to participate in that project.
1: What's the definition of the product that's supposed to be produced? like? Um is there any requirements or parameter for what what is the product?
0: The project has not specified the actual outcome for every um, area that is working on this project. Um, but I got to participate in Taizong's, which was really focusing on helping people to have a creative outlet. So oh, we. Interesting. Mhm. Um, my own way of like incorporating psychological interventions is to use nonverbal, vote, nonverbal modes of therapy. Um, and my collaborator, Zanguo, she does um, life story review and she works with um, geriatric populations. So we were able to kind of find ways to get people to express themselves using different mediums. So hopefully there will be um, – there was – a bunch of products that were created and so I'm guessing that hopefully they will be on display for others to see.
1: And then aside from like uh, your Taiwanese identity like what about being a Taiwanese American and has that um, perception of being Taiwanese American changed over time and since you decided to make a part-time move to Taiwan?
0: Okay so your question is what does it mean for you to be Taiwanese American? Yeah. Okay Um, For this, I would have to say context matters, because in the U.S. of A, Taiwanese-American means to be American either through birthright or some citizenship pathway. Mine was through birthright, but I have Taiwanese descent, Um, so my parents are both immigrants. That's what it means to be Taiwanese-American in America, Um, but in Taiwan, it means I'm Americanized in my values Even though phenotypically I look like I'm of Taiwanese descent, so my appearance, um, it basically means I'm like a banana or a Twinkie. Like I'm yellow on the outside, I'm white on the inside. But as a returnee, where I'm trying to learn the language, I'm trying to improve my language fluency, Um, But as my language fluency loses its American accent, people tend to be less forgiving when I make cultural faux pas. Mm. So if I violate a value or a custom that's expected with my language fluency, it gets me into trouble in Taiwan. Like if I was blonde hair, blue eyed. Like, not knowing where the line ends or starts, people can, like, guide you. But if you sound like you know what's up yeah. and you violate some norm, like, people are really upset at you. Like, that's not okay. You should know better.
1: Yeah, it's a challenge. Hmm.
0: Yeah, and it also has changed over the course of my lifetime. Um, So, as an example, when I was five years old, being Taiwanese-American is different than, like, when I was a person coming of age on the love boat. Taiwanese-American was different right. as, like you know current middle age in current times mm-hmm. um but also how we define taiwanese matters because if we're talking about like ethnically like oh i've always loved the food but versus politically like i would say i'm starting to become more aware of that kind of stuff so um it, the context and the time stamp matters
1: right can you talk a little bit about what it's like adulting in taiwan um and the- you know, maybe about the challenges of adulting in Taiwan, especially when you haven't grown up there or you don't have the full language capacity?
0: I have to say, like, the adulting process in Taiwan is really different. Um, As a young adult, you're not really seen as a full-fledged adult until maybe you get married or maybe you have a child, that kind of stuff, right? So um, status is a little bit different there and the way that um, we negotiate about our relationships, there's all these unspoken rules. And I constantly found myself doing these cultural faux pas. Um, And some of them were just me being an ignorant American. For example, when I landed for my dissertation, I didn't realize I picked a holiday to arrive. (sighs) So not only did the property manager have to let me in and do an orientation. My colleague who is sponsoring my stay at the university took time away from his family to give me a full campus tour with the dinner. Um, Now I know that was me being an ignorant American. Um, But there were other many instances like that where I, I wouldn't have known. For example, trash was a very stressful situation for me for two weeks, I didn't know how to throw out trash properly because I felt like every time I went, I would get chastised. It's in the wrong bag. You didn't sort the recycles properly. Um, so I was constantly making mistakes. Um, the first few weeks felt very demoralizing and frustrating, and I wondered if I made a grave mistake. Mm-hmm. Um, at some point in time, I had to let go. I had to let go of what it Feels to be a confident individual, understanding the cultural norms. And I had to really open myself up to um, completely dismantling what it means to be a person and an adult and open myself up to being re-educated. Um, maybe there's a possibility that learning how to say in, in 10 different tones would be able to help me function better in society. So I I don't have a prescriptive, um, if you do this five times every morning, it will be a good luck charm for you. But what I will say is completely letting go of things and giving yourself to experiences of being lost as a precious opportunity to find yourself. As cheesy as it may sound, um, one of my friends who does the liang bian pao, He has Mm -hmm. business that takes them back and forth. When I had asked him, what do you do if you get lost? And he said, oh, you will. Absolutely you will. But you have to enjoy it. You have to learn from it. So the first time I got, I jumped onto an MRT, and I was just going to make it on time to a meeting. Um, I ran out of the MRT station and realized I had taken it To the end of one of the colored lines, the absolute opposite end that I needed to be in. Oh dear. (laughs) Oh dear. So, you know, taking the subway cost a fraction of taking a cab, and then I had to take it in the opposite direction. And so I really used that cab ride to collect myself and enjoy the view, like I was getting my own private tour of Taipei. Um, And I think trying to be forgiving with myself also trying to be understanding because a lot of times some people were very welcoming and embraced me and other people just looked at me like, what is the matter with you? You know, like breaking um, a lot of the unspoken cultural norms in Taiwan gets people's attention. Like if you sit in one of the special needs seats and it it doesn't appear like you need it or deserve it. um, There's a culture of, collective, um, message giving. So as an example, they might take a, a picture of you, um, sitting in the special needs seat and then that'll be posted all over Instagram. So there's, there's some collective, um, we're going to tell you how to behave properly. And, um, so when I first sat in what I thought it was an open seat, I didn't understand like the seating colors and things like that. Really learning like when people are trying to teach you, oh, we don't, we don't eat, On this platform or we don't eat after this turnstile that they're really trying to do a collective kind of um, lesson sharing and so when I started to have more of an attitude of gratitude like oh they're trying to help me instead of they're trying to shame me um, it ended up being a lot easier so I'd say be forgiving of yourself be forgiving of your hosts that may not understand that you are trying your best and try and, and roll with it. I feel like I'm constantly learning and I'm constantly growing. Every time I go back, I have to take a deep breath and be like, okay, let go of that comfort zone and get ready to be uncomfortable again.
1: Wow, thank you for that. Um, and as you are saying before about the whole adulting, like... Um a lot of young adults, actually, a very high percentage of them actually still live with their parents and they don't actually move out until they get married, right? So it's very it's that's also very different. Uh-huh. Now that you are um, living part- time in Taiwan in the and California, how has the adjustment been like? Like what is it like living in Taiwan, and what's been the hardest or or maybe most enjoyable part about living in Taiwan? Um,
0: before actually living in Taiwan I always saw it as a resting spot on the way to other places or a place that I had to go to because um, that's where my relatives were but now that I've spent time there I can actually see myself enjoying like a very vibrant social life Um, I can see myself doing liang bian pao
1: so what kind is of that? like
0: how... Uh, I'm uh, Two places running.
1: So is your intention to be half the year in Taiwan and half the year in the U.S.? Well,
0: right now I spend my winters and summers there. Like okay. basically when when I don't have to teach here in the States. But now with virtual teaching, like, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. So I spend my winters and summers in Taiwan, but maybe in the future, a different ratio. Like not just half-half, but like ideally... I I would be locationless like I could work from Mexico yeah. City or Taiwan mm-hmm. or LA but mm-hmm. um, uh, Now I see myself as like enjoying a vibrant social life there like not only have um, Okay, so there's like a strange thing about being a returnee in Taiwan you suddenly become a third culture kid
1: mm.
0: So appearances are actually misleading mm-hmm. And when language is not sufficient, both in terms of vocabulary and um, grammar, syntax, fluency, then something happens where you kind of get drawn into the expat community or Mm. other returnees. It's Mm. like you can tell who each other are and there's like a very like... uh, There's a sense of a tribe. Yeah, yeah. There's like a camaraderie about it. Um, And I I actually... um, loved getting to know the nooks and crannies of taiwan so there were some things that were awful about it like mold um everything's humid it's subtropical Mm -hmm. so like i don't know why i bought a really beautiful jacket over to taiwan because it grew mold and i saved it in time but like uh not everything is gorgeous and wonderful over there but Mm -hmm. um like I had asked a friend, what happens if I get lost? He's like, you will. You just have to accept it and learn from it. So I was like, oh, okay, I can't be freaking out. I will get lost. I oftentimes get lost. So I use those as opportunities to learn and explore. Um, so I learned of a communal vegetable garden because I got off a bus stop too late for a night market that I wanted mm-hmm. to get to. So mm-hmm. it was a good thing. Um, I learned a lot about cultural misunderstandings like... Um, I'm so direct, like, is your store open or not? And they'll say something like, Buh好意思. and I'm like, what does that mean? Is that mm-hmm. a yes or a no? <laughs> uh, now I know, like, oh, they no one likes to be that direct for certain things, and so it's just a different way of communicating. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do appreciate certain things out there, like, I think they're amazing at Japanese fusion, but not so great at like my expectations of an Italian American pizza or pasta. Yeah. <laughs> like the sauce ratio is mm-hmm. never satisfying <sighs> enough. The taste is not quite as robust because mm-hmm. it's more Japanese fusion need polite, you know? Mm. Um, so I think just so many things that I love about it are also quirky. Like, um, I found an expat culture, uh, partly by co-creating so like in Taiwan if you want to remodel something it can be done within a week like there's no reason why in the US like we have contractors that do things for like two months three months Mm -hmm. things can happen very quickly including like if you want to collaborate with people I loved so many different parts of Taiwan like a circle island tour Um, so my partner drove me like to the northernmost tip to the eastern tip, the southern tip, western Hmm. tip, um, the central. There are two central Mm -hmm. spots that are contested, one Mm -hmm. that was um, proposed by the Japanese, and all but one of the outer islands. Um, So there's so much to see. And then I think after my first month there, I started going a little cuckoo because I was like, oh, my gosh, my plan to, like, teach a few classes and take Mandarin and visit my mom on the weekends, which usually just entails going to pray. Um, I was like, after a month, I can't do this for a year. This is too, like, I need to speak English. (laughs) So I actually ended up, um, going on Facebook land and I started looking for expat communities. I found three that were very pivotal in my year and made me see like I could actually live in Taiwan. Uh, one of them was a foodie girls group. So, I joined their upcoming meet and greet. And then, um, I posted so many food pictures that one of the moderators is like, do you want to be an administrator of the group? <laughs> so within the first couple months, I, I had organized like a couple of our meet and greets, you know, basically I get to call a cafe and a bunch of people show up. It was like an instant friends group. Another group I had joined was, um, improv in Taiwan in Taipei. Um, and when I messaged the person there, the person said, oh, we're meeting tonight at this subway station. Wow. And it happened to be the subway station right next to my house. I'm like, I have no excuse. I have oh, no wow. plan. <laughs> so I showed up that night. And that ended up becoming what's now known as Formosa Improv Group. They've, they're already in their second and a half year. Mm-hmm. Um, they have like a um, their resident improv group for a comedy club. And they used to be resident for... Um, an artist collaborative. And then the third group that I joined was a women's mental health support group thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and they happened to have had a artist performing arts meets um, mental health awareness um, kind of event coming up. And so since I wasn't there to work as a psychologist, I signed up as a performing artist. Um, I ended up meeting a bunch of other performing artists. Um, and friends through that event, um, it spun off into like getting to participate in a bilingual version of the vagina monologues, um, wow. eventually getting to uh, do plays out there with like an all women's cast and crew, um, getting to do a secret play mm-hmm. called um, White Rabbit, Red Rabbit, hmm. like just all like these very interesting um, pockets of opportunity as a performing artist. So um, even getting to learn, like, the Burning Man community in Taiwan and Black Lives Matter Mm -hmm. community.
1: Mm -hmm. Uh,
0: So there were so many social opportunities there as well. That's
1: great. How fun is that? I mean, you point out something very important that um, you need to have your own, like, um, social network. Like, even though you're primarily here for your mom, but you need to do something um, that resonates with you and to build your own community, right? yeah my mom's like what are you here like d-? she'll she'll try and surprise
0: me in Taipei and i'm like all right come out and watch me in an improv show and she's like <laughs> what, what are you doing in Taiwan? <laughs> you know or like i'll i'll tell my nephews too like i'll pay for your ticket if you want to come watch me and my friends perform in a play so like my first month there i really just i was there just for my mom and i was like I'm not going to do well mental health wise if I don't speak English to right. some other people <laughs> and make some friends. Right. Um, but I think it was it was just a very unexpected turn of events where now I have like a whole set of like family and friends out there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, there are a lot of things that I miss when I'm in Taiwan and mm-hmm. in the U.S. Like mm-hmm. when I'm in Taiwan, I miss not just In-N-Out Burger in California, <laughs> but I miss like real Mexican food. Mm-hmm. I even miss Texas. Tex-Mex, I miss things like fat Vegas buffets, Mm. Louisiana crawfish, (laughs) like our real beignets in um, New Orleans, diner food, Mm -hmm. um, but even concepts like freedom and civil liberties, I think, are different Mm -hmm. in Taiwan versus the U.S. You know, when I'm in the U.S., I miss things like tea culture, like the 10,000 variations of boba uh-huh. um, i miss like the Yo youtiao mm-hmm. i also miss like pecheoou they we barely have those anymore but i remember those from my young adult years and i don't eat it often but i love the option of having yes like xiaoye mm-hmm. mm-hmm. and i even like um the izakayas that the super japanese influence for like a reduced price at what you would pay in tokyo and the hokko stuff and shabu sha But even the concepts, like, I miss how polite people are, Mm -hmm. how they they wait for each other, how there's safety and respect for property. Like, I could leave um, my cell phone on a table and still expect it to be there when I come back from the restroom.
1: Um, In Taiwan, yeah. Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah.
0: Like, Mm -hmm. when I'm in the U.S., I miss things like the collective awareness. Like, there's a whole etiquette for, like, how to be on public transportation where people get into fights because they're like no elderly person you sit down like no person with a child you sit down like <laughs> we just don't have that kind of decency mm-hmm. in certain parts mm-hmm. of the world anymore mm-hmm. so i feel like taiwan's like a last holdout for a lot of ideals mm-hmm. and values mm-hmm. that we no longer have mm-hmm. even here in the u.s where okay. we mm-hmm. purport to have that mm-hmm. kind of respect for one mm-hmm. another
1: wow um so you're coming off of like spending a whole year in taiwan right mm. okay okay Um, What advice would you have for others who are considering doing a similar move in terms of, you know, doing the whole thing about applying for residency and then spending not half or a majority of their time uh, calendar year in Taiwan? Like, what kinds of things do they need to consider, like the lifestyle adjustment, cultural differences? You touched on that a little bit.
0: Okay, okay. Okay, so first I'll say... um, the advice that I have for people who are considering a similar move is to plan ahead, like expect to be your own project manager, expect to, or ask, um, if you cannot ask for translation assistance and expect to pay for translation assistance and join a bunch of Facebook groups out there. So there's like subtle Taiwanese traits is fantastic. Um, but there's like a COVID-19 group for returnees. Um, but I'll just say I've had a lot of lifestyle considerations, adjustment, cultural differences that I had to deal with. So one was, I mentioned before, as my language fluency improves, the um, acculturation in values was also expected mm-hmm. to follow suit. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had to learn how to be more Taiwanese. I had to learn, for example, how to communicate to be to sound more Taiwanese.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, as an example, sometimes just walking people are like, you're not from here. <laughs> so even my body language <laughs> probably has some sort of like American swagger mm-hmm, to it that I don't mm-hmm, even try and exude. Mm-hmm. Um, but even learning how to say buhao <laughs> yisi with my mouth covered, at first I was like, I'm a feminist, I'm not doing that. <laughs> but I realized like, oh, um, this one Latina told me to do that. She was like, if you just say it and, and giggle a little, you know, and I'm like, I'm not going to adopt what she was suggesting, but I realized like, oh, there's a cultural expectation and there's just a way to feel to to be actually heard. And fit in. Yeah. yeah. Um, but even learning how to dress or stock, mm, stock up differently. So like, the kinds of, of swimsuits that I would wear in Taiwan are going to be very different. <laughs> even the kind of toilet paper you would purchase just because uh-huh. it's so yeah. humid out there. Like, mm-hmm. toilet paper rolls don't make a lot of sense. Uh-huh. Um, so now I've started to understand like I probably have some clothes that I'm going to only wear in Taiwan versus some clothes that would only be appropriate in the States. Wow. Either like the material doesn't work yeah. or the style. Mm-hmm. Um, and so now I'm also contemplating like, do I need to think about two residences? Like even <laughs> if it's rental, like I've always stayed in temporary like uh, faculty housing, mm-hmm. you know, they, um, have it for visiting scholars from abroad mm. but now I'm like maybe I want an an address to receive mail too on the way um so sometimes I consider moving to Taiwan even more than I am there now like even full time but then I think about ooh what about my friends and family in the states mm-hmm. like I I have some loved ones here yeah. you know one of them I'm a caregiver for. Mm-hmm. Um, two is my language fluency is nowhere near where it needs to be for the level of adulting that I do in the US.
1: Right.
0: Um, so like getting a bank account open was such a big deal for me. Like sending off a post office package was another huge deal for me. Like everything's just an exhausting, huge deal. I don't know if I can deal with those microaggressions every day. Um, Yeah, it's
1: a huge challenge, because if you don't have the literacy, right, it's, yeah.
0: Yeah, also, um, you know, the uglier side of Taiwan is, like, the comparable livable wages and professions, Mm -hmm. um, at least for my profession, are not there, Mm -hmm. so professors make less than English tutors do sometimes, and Work very long hours, mm-hmm. um, and I'm not saying anyone deserves more or less, but just as a comparison, right? right. Um, also, psychologists make less than a hairdresser do really? in Taiwan. Oh,
1: my goodness,
0: yeah! So, like, it wouldn't make any sense for me to, to try and, um, yeah, I, I wouldn't be able to, yeah. So, um, but there are options for me, like, I can work my U.S. stuff while living in Taiwan, right, like, right. I you know so there are ways it's just I would love, want to contribute to Taiwan mm-hmm. economy too mm-hmm. but it mm-hmm. just hasn't caught up to um, global economy it's yeah. sufficient for um, local purposes mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but also when I think about being in Taiwan full-time I think about oh the summer's there I'm like I don't know there's a part of me that's still very much a Los Angelian
1: mm-hmm.
0: where I like my dry summers Right.
1: Um, yeah I understand that you're taking some Mandarin Chinese language classes. Um, Can you talk about what that experience has been like? And I think you you mentioned that you recently took a big exam for that.
0: Yes. I've been taking Chinese throughout my life intermittently, not very seriously. So Chinese school during Saturdays, college I took four quarters, I got an A during Love Boat, and then I realized when I moved to Taiwan, I don't even know how to order at the restaurant. I oh. cannot fill out a postal address form. Um, so it really was not functional for adulting purposes. So I had a choice to take um, like small private group or just a one-on-one. And my tutor ended up assessing that my spoken word was so much more advanced than my reading-writing And um, so we had to customize my lessons. She's been really terrific because I'll ask her, teacher, I'd like to open up a bank account. So she'll go get me forms and then that'll be our lesson. Or teacher, I need to learn how to send something to the US via postal service. So she'll go grab the forms. She even went with me to National Health Insurance and said, go pick up a number. Okay, now we're gonna fill out the form. And then you have to ask them, you know which forms do you need and then we're gonna look so she was very patient with me Um, all that being said I was a little bit relaxed of a student because I was also enjoying the rest of my sabbatical year and so she finally gave me a goal saying you're the kind of learner that would do really well if you tested for a certificate so I actually don't really need it for my work but it is something nice to be able to offer the university Mm -hmm. saying I can do this level now so um, there's six different levels. I worked really, really hard, and I'm just grateful I didn't walk away with the most bottom level. Um, but now I have um, a certificate saying that I'm capable of reading writing at a certain level. Um, it is functional for me to get around Taiwan. It is not functional for me to debate politics and things like that. So that is a few textbooks later. Um, so I'm still not able to um, go into a bank and just do regular banking that I would in the U.S., but I am able to order more successfully at a restaurant, and that is super important to me as a returnee. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, that's great. It sounds like it's very practical skills. Um, what, what is your goal? Do you, do you want to be able to like debate politics or to write an essay or like for yourself? What's your goal?
0: Oh, Felicia, I have a few goals with my (laughs) language acquisition. One is I wish to be able to express myself fully, and I'm not able to do that yet. Um, I have so many thoughts that buzz around in my head, and I end up smiling and nodding because I think I don't know the equivalent to that. Um, I'd love to be able to express myself fully. I'd love to be able to conduct business there as a professional, Mm -hmm. Um, right now I don't even know how to get the forms and to file as an entity, um, that'll be for a future Mandarin lesson. Um, I'd love to be able to advocate for social services and things like that for, um, loved ones too. So right now I'm able to, um, navigate buses and trains and most of the time not get lost. So I'm still a ways away, but it's actually a far cry from what I had seen for myself. I was always that American kid returnee that came back saying, oh, what in the And it, it seemed very acceptable to do that, especially as a teenager, um, even as a young adult. But now when they see a the mid-aged woman and I don't really have as much of a Western accent anymore, it leads to a lot of um cultural misunderstandings Mm
1: -hmm. well more power to you that's great Um, it's not easy really not easy but uh, I'm really impressed that you have these goals (laughs) thank you (laughs) so um,
0: if I may say just a few things in closing yes please I want to say thank you for having this as an outlet Um, and I love that there's a whole bunch of um, folks out there that might be interested in a unique person's experiences. Um, I'll just say in closing, I chose to learn more about Taiwan due to my own aging, elderly, widowed mother. Um, But now I realize I care about Taiwan's future because um, not only are like my um, nephews, they're both young adults that want to make their lives there. Um, but after I was sponsored by Taita's um, College of Public Health, I learned what a privilege it was to get to be there, contribute and participate in academics and consult with some of their healthcare and social work ventures. Um, I not only felt embraced by the expat community, um, but I really felt like I was able to contribute to the society in different ways. like. Um, I ran a children's theater summer camp so that I could teach children about self-confidence and teamwork and self-expression. I got to um, lead and um, produce a women's writing workshop about their bodies that ended up being like a Taipei version of the vagina monologues. Um, so I feel like whatever you want can happen. Taiwan is a place that's just ripe and fertile Um, they have a model pandemic response that's resulted in like a miracle where it's well under 1000 cases and less than 10 deaths total Um, all of this like beauty and stuff though I realize is very precarious Taiwan's been in some kind of a uh, center of international politics and constantly i'm reminded that its status could change um so you know things are not perfect there like wages have been stifled and xenophobia has um probably contributed to some of the policies that make it difficult for talent from abroad to return should they wish to do so so while it's not a utopia it sure feels like a democracy um getting to vote in the last election cycle felt very uplifting and empowering. And I'm very proud of Taiwan's collective pandemic response, um, that it's so safe, it is possible to have potlucks and teppanyaki and buffets there right now. Um, So even though it was a difficult process and a a very personal journey for me, it was well worth it. if any of you have any children, and you're thinking about like, gosh, huh, should I be thinking about documentation for them? I'd say, um, like, really think about how the Japanese, when, um, you know, after their experiences of Issei Nisei, the Sansei wanted to go back, and they wanted to kind of reclaim some of their birthright language and stuff. So maybe think about a pathway, if you have kiddos out there, Um, But either way, if it's been a while since you've been back, like especially over 10 years kind of people, please consider going back to Taiwan. Um, I know going back to the motherland, um, you're going to find like there are speakeasies there. There are Michelin star um, restaurants if you're into that. The night markets are still there. Um, And one day me and my friends are considering doing something like what the um, Jews do for their young adults. Um, which is like more of a birthright Circle Island tour. So if and when that happens, um, please save a week out of your lives to come and check out Taiwan, not your mother's version of Taiwan. I just want to add that it's been a privilege to get to know Taiwan, and I look forward to getting to know it more. Um, I'm usually there every winter and summer, So if anyone happens to be in Taipei or Taizong and they want to be introduced to the expat community, let me know.
1: (laughs) Wonderful. Thank you for sharing all that, Michi. So how can people um, get in touch with you or learn more about you?
0: Um, If you Google me, I have a Psychology Today profile, Mm -hmm. so Mm you can find me through there.
1: Okay. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for being on the podcast, Michi. Thank you, Felicia. I've been speaking with Michi Fu about how she straddles living in the US and Taiwan. To learn more about Michi and items mentioned in this episode, visit our website TalkingTaiwan.com. There will list any links related to items mentioned in this episode. If you enjoyed this episode of Talking Taiwan, subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform, tell a friend about us, or better yet, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Thank you for listening to another episode of Talking Taiwan. I'm your host, Felicia Lin. Talking
0: Taiwan is brought to you by Forumosa.com.